0: Would you open your Bible, please, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Again, we appreciate Mrs. Donna Fogel at the Ebony Piano and Mrs. Sue Brown at the organ today. And we want to remember in prayer Miss Retha Clevenger, who is away, and others of our staff who could not be here today. In Luke chapter 2, this is perhaps among the most Familiar of all the scripture passages in the Bible. I suppose if we took a toll or a poll of the scriptures that are familiar to people, Psalm 23 would rank number one, John 14 would rank number two, and probably Luke chapter 2 would rank number three. Or maybe it's the reverse. Almost all children learn this passage of Scripture. And uh, if you've been in church when you're young, you knew that you came to know this passage of Scripture. And we thank the Lord for the Word of God. We mentioned a while ago those that we want to remember in prayer. Let's not forget them. And I failed to mention Mrs. Virginia Childers, who is also very, very seriously ill at Greenview Hospital, though there is some improvement. And we thank God for that. May we bow together in prayer as we begin to look into the Word. Our Father, help us as we search the Scriptures to see the application in today's world of all the mystery and the majesty of that first Christmas nearly 2,000 years ago. We thank you for all the people meeting here in this auditorium, representing people around the world who are meeting on this Christmas morning to say we honor the King. We are like the shepherds. We are like the wise men. We have come to worship Him that is born King. We pray that if there's one person here today without Jesus, he'll come to Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 2, it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, Today, we come to that ageless story, story that never grows old, the birth of the Lord Jesus, as told in Luke's Gospel. Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, it was the fullness of time when God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made unto the law to redeem them that were under the law. Please notice the time. It was 4 BC. For the scholars tell us that our calendar is off four years. When the calendar was first introduced, it was based on a taxing that was made by Quirinius. Erroneously, they did not realize that there were two taxings. And the other taxing is the one when Mary and Joseph went up to Bethlehem. And so for all these years, our calendar has read four years off. Caesar Augustus sat on the emperor's throne in Rome. He was the nephew of Julius Caesar. He was born on September the 23rd, 63 B.C., the very year that Rome became a world empire and took over Palestine. He died on August the 19th. 14 A.D. He had ruled 45 years. He ruled the world. He shaped the then known world into one world. So that when Paul said it was the fullness of time, he did not mince words. The roads were ready for the spread of the gospel. The language was one language, the Greek All across the world, there was a oneness. And so, in the years that followed, the story of Jesus spread quickly across the Roman Empire. Although Caesar Augustus was ruled by a desire for power, he was gracious and tender and a beloved emperor. It is said at the end of his life he called for a mirror, he arranged his hair, He demanded of the bystanders, have I played the part well? Their answer was in the affirmative. Then he said, as a true player, farewell and applaud. And he passed off the scene, never having realized that during his reign, something happened in the Roman Empire that would change the entire world. Cyrenius was governor of Syria. He was commanded to take a census of Judea, the newly acquired district. He demanded that all go to their own city, the city of their ancestral home. Now, there lived in Nazareth of Galilee, a carpenter, whose great, 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 great grandfather, several times removed, had been king of Israel. He had a splendid kingdom. This man was a carpenter, and he was engaged to a beautiful young lady who also had been part of the house and lineage of David. They were planning to be married soon, and when they learned of the decree concerning the taxing, they went together to the city of their ancestral home, a little village many miles to the south called the House of Bread, Bethlehem of Judea. Now the Bible narrative tells us that Mary and Joseph were espoused to one another. This is like our modern-day engagement. The difference was, and it was a very important thing, they had all the privileges of marriage except the bed. They did not come together as husband and wife until after the marriage. This was a year of trial to see if each really loved the other and would be faithful. And it was during this time, Joseph discovered Mary was with child, and the count in Matthew says that Joseph, an honorable man, thought he would just put her away privately. He loved her. He didn't want to embarrass her. He was an honorable man. While he thought on these things, God appeared to him in a dream, and he said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take to you Mary. This holy thing that is conceived in her is of God. And she shall bring forth a son. They'll call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. And Joseph, in strict obedience to the inner of the Holy Spirit, did what God said. And beloved, the most important thing we can do after believing in Christ is obeying Christ. There is no real discipleship apart from obeying Christ. A godly man and woman... Morally righteous, every woman ought to strive to be kind and gentle and the kind of lady that Mary was. I don't think there's a greater example of womanhood in all the Bible or in the pages of history than precious and beautiful Mary, a young lady, a young teenager. And every teen girl within the sound of my voice today would be wise to say, I want to be a modern-day Mary. I want to be somebody God can trust with His secrets. I'm not going to give my body away before marriage. I'm not going to give my purity and my virginity away to the ruffians that really care less about me and more about themselves. God had appeared to Mary, and the Holy Spirit had overshadowed her. She was with child. Sometimes people say, well, how was the Word of God inspired? Some speak of a mechanical dictation. Some speak of a dynamic method of of, uh, inspiration. I believe that the Bible was inspired much like Mary was inspired to bring Jesus into the world the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. We're not to inquire into the method God used, but simply to take it at what the Scripture says, the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, and by a miraculous occurrence, there came into her womb that little one that was to become the Savior of the world. In the same way, God overshadowed Moses, and Daniel, and David, and Malachi, and Matthew, and Mark, and Luke, and the others. He overshadowed them in such a way that that Holy Word which came from their pen was the very Word of God that God wanted written in our Bibles. Well, as Mary and Joseph approached the city for the taxation, Mary was weary with travel. Time of the birth with the child was approaching, they began to search for a place to stay in the city. So often, the world is unkind to those who are weary and tired and so in need of attention. I thank God for some of our men and women who went out this week carrying fruit baskets and food baskets and boxes to people in physical need. God bless you for doing that. Now picture the inn and the innkeeper. We do not know much about that inn. We don't know whether there was more than one inn in Bethlehem or just one. More than likely there was just one because it was a little village of Bethlehem. It was not a large city, a very tiny city. The city of our ancestral home, Newcastle, Kentucky, used to have a sign in it, 400. Today that city has grown. It's a big metropolis of 800. Bethlehem was sort of like that. It was a little village. And yet it was crowded because people from all over Israel were coming there in response to that taxation. Now, think of the innkeeper for a moment. Maybe he was very kind, maybe gentle, maybe very gracious. Maybe he was mean, maybe he's pharisaical. We don't know. But we know that when Mary and Joseph could not find room, the innkeeper perhaps said, Well, I know. You're in trouble, and the baby's about to come. We have a cave out here in the back where our animals stay, and there's a manger there. You could go there. And so when the king of the universe came to arrive in this world, he came in a little manger in a cave behind the hotel. There was no room for him. This one fact, one little sentence, though never repeated again in the New Testament, has echoed down the years, kept alive by the clear fact that no room sign that night was prophetic, a portrayal of the facts of the years. For the Son of Man has come over and over again, And there's been no room. He sought room in the world of his day. He was born in a Roman world. The Roman world was already charted in its course. Its main emphasis, military prowess, economic gain, intellectual concern, cultural attainment. They had no room for the king of the Jews. For Rome had no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Caesar. He sought entrance into the Jewish nations. The Jewish had, Jews had expected a Messiah. Their history was one of anticipation for a king who would come and reign. Their prophets had peered down the future, and they would called out, I will see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. But when he came, they were not ready. The Scripture says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now, some did receive him. Mary and Joseph. Mary pondered these things in her heart, not knowing altogether who he was. The shepherds heard the announcement out in the field, and they got up quickly and came into the city, and they found the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and they went out and told everybody. The wise men had been watching the stars. And they saw a strange star, and they followed that star to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. And they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But I want to tell you, most of the world didn't even know what happened. And most of the world today doesn't know what happened in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Yes, we've gotten the gospel out partially. Partially. But there are two billions of people in our world of five billion people who know nothing about Jesus. And of the three billion who do know something about Him, most of those do not know Him as personal Savior. They know about Him. They know Him as a religion or a dogma or a doctrine or a church. But they've never experienced Him personally. And there are some within the sound of my voice today who have never experienced Jesus. You know about Him. You've heard about Him. You've heard the Away in the Manger, No Crib for a Bed, Silent Night, Holy Night, oh Come All Ye Faithful. You've heard all these great songs. You've heard Rudolph the Red Bull's Reindeer. And you say, well, they're all, let's just group them all together. They all mean about the same thing, all those songs. Because Jesus has never become real and personal and precious to you. Most did not receive Him. Through his spirit and dedicated men, he has sought room in the hearts and the world through the centuries. He came to Rome, and Rome had no room. He comes to America. And for a while, it seemed like America would say, yes, we have room for the king. And the early leaders of our nation had room. They wrote into the very constitution of this nation, godly principles. In the early years, the states had laws that said, in honor of the resurrection of Christ from the dead, we'll not have stores open on this day. One by one, those laws have been erased. And now everything is wide open. Maybe it's providential that God allowed Christmas to come on Sunday this year so everybody could get just a little review of what it used to be like on Sunday when everything was closed. Today you can't go and buy your shoes and your dresses and your shirts and your groceries. Everything's closed. They didn't close because Christ. among men and so for these years and years God's people have been doing that and I want to praise him for the multitude of people who've come to God's house on this Christmas Sunday to celebrate the incarnation now I want to ask you a few things and then I'll be finished he came into his own his own received him not He came to Caesar. Caesar had no idea he was being born. He came to Quirinius. Quirinius could care less. He came to Herod. Herod wanted to kill him. They had no room. I want to ask you a few things. Do we have room today for Jesus? First of all, in the playroom of our lives. We're living in a time when there seems to be a goal for all of us to have more and more and more time to play. They even talked a few days, a few uh, uh, years ago, about cutting down the workday from six to five, and then five to four, and then four to three. Let's just work three days, and then we'll have four days to play. I want to ask you do we have room in our playroom? for Jesus. In our leisure time, some of you don't have any. If you go like you've been going since Thanksgiving, you ain't got none. Even a second. But, from time to time we have some leisure time. I want to ask you, what do you do with it? Does Christ have first place in our leisure time? two young guys that are with us today, Mike and Ben, football and basketball guys. They play basketball and football in their schools and they're good at it. I'm glad that on Christmas Day, they said, we want to go to God's house and they're here with their daddy. In our play time, in our leisure time, do we have room for Jesus? Or do we make it a time of drunkenness and revelry? It seems like the world can't celebrate Christmas without a bottle, and without all night sprees. I heard early on the news about some of the Celebrations were held Christmas Eve night last night. Do we have room for Christ in our playtime? Do we have room for Christ in our homes? Homes are breaking up. Disillusionment of the home is so prevalent today. Uh, husbands and wives going their different ways. And instead of blending their lives to say I want Christ to be real in our home. And I'm going to give him first place in my home. It is The question is what do I want? Not what does he want? A couple that prays together stays together because they form a triangle. And here's Jesus. And they say Jesus what will you have me to do? And the Lord begins to. Tell us. He doesn't tell one partner to do one thing and the other another. He blends us together because they're one flesh in Christ. Do we have room in our homes for the Bible, for prayer? Or is the home just the place where you hang your hat? You go in late at night, plop in bed, Early in the morning the alarm goes off, you jump out of bed, don't even have time to make your bed, and you run and get a cup of coffee and run down to the, wherever you go to work and to school and get all that done and work and work and play and play and do and do and finally you get back home and that's all and home means nothing. Do we have room in our homes? Do we have room in our intellectual Areas of life. What do you read? Some read the newspaper. Some go over and get all these national inquires that they can get. And those national inquires are becoming filthy and filthy. All they talk about is somebody else getting somebody else's husband or wife or how... O.J.'s uh, girlfriend spent the night that the wife was murdered with some other man and all that kind of stuff. And people buy it by the thousands. It feeds their old Adamic nature. What do you read? Do you take time for the Bible? Do you take time for the great classics? I want to recommend to every young person the Grace Livingston Hill books. They're being republished. And nothing could be more precious. They're not heavy stuff. They're Christian romances. And I'll tell you, you get a blessing by just reading them. What do you read? Do you have time in your life for Jesus in your intellectual areas? And then last of all, do you have room for him in your heart? Do you? Do we really have room for him in our heart? You see, out of the heart proceed the issues of life. And when Christ really dwells in our heart by faith, he changes us. The greatest definition of being born again is being changed by the power of God. Have you been changed by Jesus coming to dwell in your heart? You say, well, I'm not sure what you mean by that. How, how does that happen? Well, the Bible says we've all sinned. Every one of us has sinned. And we've come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is Jesus. The night the Lord was born, the angel said, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. What was he saying? Jesus is here. Jesus is here. He is the glory of God. Have you let him come into your heart? If you have, thank him i I want to tell you this. I hope you'll listen. Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. And everybody who makes a profession of faith, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Profession with no possession is hypocrisy. And when John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, he said, repent. They all came down there and got baptized. He said, wait a minute. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come you generation of snakes and vipers bring forth fruit, meat for repentance? In other words, before you can really be saved, there has to be a repentance in your heart. There has to be a willingness to say, I'm a drunk. I'm a profane person. I'm a sexually immoral person. I'm a curser. I'm a thief, or I'm a good moral person, but I've left God out of my life. And we come to Him and confess all of this and ask Him to cleanse us and forgive us and say, Lord, I want to make room in my heart for you. That's repentance, making room. If I went to your house, knocked on the door. If you didn't want me to, suppose you had your house full of books and boxes and all things in your living room and so on, and you didn't really want me to come in, so you said, well, you know, my room's just full of all this stuff. Why don't you come back another day? You think I'd barge in, so I'm coming in whether you like it or not. No, I wouldn't do that. I'd, I'd just go away but if I came to your house and your room was all in disarray and you said, wait a minute, come on in, preacher. I'm glad you've come. Let me move this stuff. I want you to come in and sit down. You'd be making room. That's what repentance means. It means making room in your heart for Jesus. Making room in your home. Making room in your life and saying, come in, Lord Jesus. I need you and I want you. Have you done that? If you have, thank him. If you have not, why not now? Why not today? You may say, well, preacher, I go to some other church. I'm just here visiting today. God knew you were going to be here. He's dealing with your heart. If you're willing to put your faith in Christ today, why don't you ask him to come in? And just say, Jesus, I don't want to be like those people were in Bethlehem years ago, and they didn't have any room for Jesus. I want to make room for him. I want to invite him to come in. If you'll do that, he'll do it today. He'll come in. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this truth from the Word of God. Though presented in such a simple form, it is so profound. When we allow Jesus room in our hearts, He changes our destiny. He changes our life. He changes our mind. We pray that somebody today would come just as He is and trust in the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing, Just As I Am, number 334. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come to thee. And while we sing this in just a moment, you're here, and if God has spoken to your heart, would you say, Lord, I want you as my Savior. I want to invite you to come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord today. If you'll do that, he'll come in. There may be somebody here whose membership is in another church and God wants you at Glendale. You could come today and say, I want to become part of this fellowship. You may be here and you have been saved, but you've never confessed it openly. Why don't you come today? While we begin to sing, will you step out for the King? God help you to do.